Hello, and welcome to another Bible study. This time, our first study in the life of David. We've spent seven weeks on the prophet Samuel, the priest, the prophet, the judge, the anointer of the first king of Israel. Although he's an old man by now, his greatest work still lies ahead of him. Saul had failed the Lord. He was chosen, yet he failed. Firstly, by impersonating a priest before a battle with the Philistines, which he should never have done, he was told, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart. You know who that was. And secondly, by defeating the Amalekites, but sparing Agag their king and the best of their animals, it was said, the Lord has rejected you as king. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you and has given it to one of your neighbours. So Saul had been busted by his own pride. He'd been busted by his own disobedience. There was a, an evangelist in the 19th century, early 20th, called Gypsy Smith. And he said, you can say no to Jesus until you lose all desire to say yes to him. And that effectively is what had happened to Saul. He'd gone on repeatedly saying no to God until he'd lost all desire to say yes to God. So who then was this man after God's own heart? Who was this neighbour of Saul's who would get the throne? We all know, of course. And in chapter 16, we read about David, but David before the event with Goliath. If you like, this is the CV of David before Goliath. I'm in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He, he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down before he arrives. So he sent for him. 
and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said to him, Rise and anoint him, this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. At the end of chapter 15, Samuel is mourning for Saul. And in the beginning of chapter 16, he's still mourning for Saul. He's really upset about losing Saul as king. But God says, pull yourself together, man. Get over it. Go to Jesse in Bethlehem. Now, Jesse is a grandson of Boaz and Ruth. And David, therefore, is the great-grandson of Boaz and Ruth. And the Lord says, go to Bethlehem. Now, for you and me, ding, 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 ding. Yeah, Bethlehem. Ruth's town, where she came from. Sorry, where she went to and where she lived. And also Jesus, of course, who was born in Bethlehem. Samuel is scared. Why would he be scared? Well, he's scared because of what he's about to do. What he's about to do is an act of treason. If he anoints another man to be king, when Saul is still alive as king, Samuel's life would be in danger. We're all aware of Saul's impetuous nature, how on more than one occasion he'd thrown spears at David to try to kill him. Saul hadn't yet tried to murder Samuel, but he was quite capable of it in a moment of bad temper. So the Lord says, well, as Jesus said in the Gospels, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So the Lord says to Samuel, look, go to Bethlehem and offer a sacrifice, but don't tell anybody about the anointing. It'll be a service. So in verse 4, Samuel arrives, and this time the, the elders are trembling. Why are the elders trembling? Well, the elders are trembling because the last thing that Saul did that's recorded in the Bible is he killed Agag and chopped into pieces. So the elders are now thinking, goodness me, why is Samuel here? What's he up to? And Samuel reassures the elders. He says, he's come in peace. Now prepare yourself for a sacrifice. Consecrate yourselves. This would involve washing and wearing clean clothes. And then Jesse brings the sons to Samuel. And Samuel sees Eliab. Now, in Chronicles, this brother is called Elihu. So he's another of Old Testament characters who has more than one name. Eliab, Elihu, is a brother of David. And Samuel thinks, he's the one. Now, I don't want to be disrespectful, but a little bit like a pantomime. We're in pantomime season, aren't we? So these boys come before Samuel... And Samuel says, he's the one. And the Lord says, oh, no, he isn't. So the next one comes up, he's the one. And the Lord says, oh, no, he isn't. And the third one comes up and Samuel says, he's the one. And the Lord says, oh, no, he isn't. Why? Because of verse 7. Do not consider appearance or height. The Lord does not look at thing, the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Saul had been chosen in part because of his appearance and his height, but not this time. Although David is a good-looking lad, as we shall see, the Lord is looking at the heart. Now, in the Bible, 
Your heart is not in your chest, it's in your brain. In 1 Corinthians chapter 28, for example, God speaks to Solomon. And you, Solomon, acknowledge, sorry, David speaking, you, Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. In other words, the heart is the, is the centre of your thinking. It's the real you. It's the inner you. It's the secret you. It's the you which only you and God really see clearly. It's your inner disposition. It's your inner character. It's the part of you where your decisions are thought about and made. Your heart is your driving force. What the heart is to a human, the cockpit is to an aircraft. What the heart is to a human, the bridge is to a ship. What the heart is to a human, the locomotive is to a passenger train. It's where all the decisions are considered and made. Jesus spoke about the heart in Mark chapter 7. From within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now nearly all of those sins are doings, not feelings. Jesus isn't speaking there mostly about how people feel, but about what they do. No wonder Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Well, the sons are brought before Samuel. And again, a little bit about like Ant and Deck, I suppose. Eliab appears there. And uh, Samuel says, well, it's not you. And then Abinadab steps forward and Samuel says, well, it's not you. And Shammah is put forward and he says, it's not you. And Nathan and Radai and Ozem and all the other brothers are brought before Samuel. He says, it's not you. Verse 10, the Lord has not chosen these. And so Samuel asks, surely isn't there another boy somewhere? And do you pick up the air of contempt in Jesse's words? He says, um, well, there is the youngest. He's tending the sheep. Surely you wouldn't be interested in him, would you? But of course, David was the one who was chosen to be the next king of Israel. So, that was the first aspect of David's CV before be fighting Goliath. Notice the characteristics of a shepherd. What would a shepherd need? He'd need to be comfortable in his own company. He'd often be alone. He'd be comfortable with basic living conditions. He wouldn't want to live in or wouldn't be able to live in luxury. He would have to put up with being of low social status. A, a, a shepherd would be hardy. He'd be tough. He'd be courageous. And when David is brought in, he's seen as being an attractive male, but he's a shepherd. He's got all those shepherd-like qualities. And the name David appears here for the first time in verse 13. I believe it's the name which appears more than any other name in the Old Testament, and it means beloved 
It's in the Old Testament over 900 times. And as David becomes more prominent, Samuel begins to fade away. Saul had been anointed in secret. David is anointed in a small circle. Jesse was there. His seven brothers were there. Probably his mother and possibly the elders that were mentioned in verse 4. So within a small family group plus some elders, David is anointed. And it says, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. The English Standard Version says, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Now this is unusual in the Old Testament. David is an exception to the Old Testament rule. Normally in the Old Testament times, if God needed to give the Spirit to somebody to do a particular job, the Spirit came upon that person, they did the job, then the Spirit left. Another job came along, the Spirit came upon the person again, they did the job, the Spirit left. Think of the book, the book of Judges where this happens quite a lot. But here, the Spirit comes upon David powerfully, rushes on him from that day forward. The anointing gave David the authority to be king. But the coming of the Spirit gave David the power to become king. It's his power for service. No wonder when he sinned so greatly with Bathsheba, he prayed in Psalm 51, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. God, I've sinned, I need forgiveness, but I can't be king anymore if I haven't got the Holy Spirit with me anymore. So that was David the shepherd. Let's look now at David the musician. Verse 14 of chapter 16. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them with his son to Saul. The Spirit of God earlier in chapter 10 had come upon Saul in power and he had prophesied. Do you remember that? But now the Spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul. And Jesus tells us how evil spirits hate a vacuum. And they like to fill a vacuum with loads of themselves. And Saul, who has lost the presence of the Holy Spirit, is now afflicted by this evil spirit, a harmful spirit, an injurious spirit, a tormenting spirit. So how could it have come from the Lord? Because in the Hebrew mind, God is the first cause of everything. Since God is almighty, everything that happens has been permitted by God. Uh, think of Job. He was attacked by the evil one. But God said to Satan, you can attack him so far, but no further. Now his wife told Job to give up and to curse the Lord. And Job said to his wife, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God 
and not trouble. In other words, everything that happens comes from God. This is a bad time. I accept it as having come from the Lord. God uses evil agents to accomplish his purposes. Think of Nebuchadnezzar. Think of Judas. Caiaphas. Pilate. Evil spirits, evil powers are always under the authority of God to accomplish his purposes. In Isaiah chapter 45, God says, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. So having lost the Holy Spirit, Paul's efforts at being king from now on are futile. And he goes into a deep depression. His, the integrity of mind is beginning to break up, to disintegrate into pieces. And his courtiers advise some music therapy. And Saul agrees. And uh, people know that the playing of the lyre would help to calm Saul's nerves. And one eager servant puts up his hand. Mr. Noel, I expect, hoping to get in well with the king. I know just the bloke. He plays the lyre, he's brave, he's articulate, he's good-looking, and the Lord's with him. And Saul invites him to his court, the man who will ultimately replace him as king. And Saul then sent a command to Jesse and said, send me David. Jesse didn't really have much choice. And no one appeared before the king with empty-handed, so David came with bread and wine and a goat as a gift for the king. So David is employed as a musician, but only times when the Saul is one of, in one of his down periods. So on David's, CV, he, on David's CV, he was a shepherd, he was a musician, and now he becomes an armour-bearer. Verse 21. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armour-bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. David became Saul's personal protection officer, as we would say today. Saul demands that David stay with him. And again, Jesse has no real choice. We read in chapter 14 that whenever Saul saw a mighty or a brave man, he took him into his service. David's music had an effect upon the evil, tormenting mind of Saul. And later, he brought worship into the life of Israel. In 1 Chronicles chapter 6, we read this. These are the men David put in charge of the music in the house of the Lord, after the ark came to rest there. They ministered with music before the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, until Solomon built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They performed their duties according to the regulations laid down for them. Up until the time of David, music had not featured highly, if at all, in the worship of the Lord. It was David the musician who introduced music to the worship of the Lord. Now, what are the main things we can get out of this chapter that will help us as followers of Jesus today? I think in verse 1, we learn, don't mourn 
over things that have gone wrong. Everything had gone wrong because Saul had failed as king. And Samuel's upset. And God says, move on, leave it behind. Don't be defined by that mistake. Move on and find my future purposes for you. Don't be defined by an earlier mistake. Don't be defined from some earlier sin that you committed. Don't be defined by some foolish path that you took and you think, there's no way back for me. Confess it before God, repent of it, and move on in the purposes of God in your Christian walk. There's a future in Christ for you. Something else we can learn is we need to consecrate ourselves before we worship. Samuel insisted that the men should wash and change their clothes. And when we come on Sunday mornings, we should be prepared. We shouldn't be coming to church to worship. We should be coming as church, already worshipping. We should be bringing worship into the house of the Lord and the service itself is a continuation of the worship we've already been offering at home or in the car or wherever. We consecrate ourselves and prepare ourselves before worship. We can also learn from this not to judge people by outward appearances. You remember Hyacinth Bouquet, Hyacinth Bucket from Keeping Up Appearances. All she wanted was people to see her clothes, her car, her husband in a good job, her fine house, lovely holidays. That's all that concerned her was the outward appearance. The outward appearance is of no interest to God. He looks upon the heart. He looks upon your engine room. He looks upon your bridge. He looks upon your locomotive. He looks at the centre of you in your head. Where you have all those feelings and where you weigh things up and where you make decisions, the Lord judges you by your heart, by your decision-making capacity. And don't judge others by their outward appearances either. Remember, the Lord is looking at your control room all the time. I think from verse 14 we can learn that the Lord allows adverse things to happen. It says a spirit, an evil spirit was sent by the Lord. The Lord does allow us, us to go through some pretty awful times and I'm sure there will be people watching and listening to this who are feeling the pain of this and wondering how much more can I take? Can I go on? How many days weeks, months, years do I have to go on bearing this burden? The Lord does allow adverse things to happen, but the Lord also, we know, works out everything for good in conformity with his will for his glory. We have to seize that by faith. In verse 13 and 16, we saw that the Spirit was given to David to enable him to serve. The anointing gave him the authority to serve, but the Spirit coming upon him enabled him to serve. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. They were saved men. They were born again, those apostles. But Jesus said to them, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive the power to be my witnesses, both here in this town and throughout the Holy Land and beyond into Europe and Africa and Asia and all around the world. 
The Spirit is the one who enables us to serve. And if we're not serving in the Spirit, if we're not serving, relying upon him alone rather than upon ourselves, then our service will be of little value. I think something else we can learn is that Christ-centred music can help us when our minds are oppressed. When your mind is oppressed by some evil, some temptation, some guilt, some depression, some anxiety, some low esteem, putting on a fine Christian piece of music, especially music which exalts Christ, especially music which puts into words the words of Scripture. Wow, that can often be used by the Holy Spirit as a means of lifting you out of your slough of despond. God was preparing David for his next step. And God is preparing all of us for our next step. It doesn't matter how young you are watching this or how old. God, at every point, is preparing you for the next step as he was for David. We've looked at his CV. Before Goliath, he'd been a shepherd, he'd been a musician, he'd been a bodyguard. Now he's ready for the biggest fight of his life. So don't miss next time's exciting episode. The Lord bless you. Amen.